we are in our series. We are flying along through the book of Genesis as we're examining Joseph's life. And as we're entering into this next episode where Joseph is moving from the prison to the palace and seeing how God is moving, God is at work. And it may not be something that we see very often, but we see God, I mean, really seeing God moving. You know, I think of uh, when we have special birthdays in our lives. In America, there's certain birthdays that mean a lot, like 16. That's a pretty big one. What's the next one? 1821. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. Um, but 21, 30, 40 is a big one, 50. These, all, these are all big numbers, right? And there's certain ones that we, we feel like we should get a little bit more attention on that birthday. And I, I remember myself when I turned 30, I thought, I'm going to get some attention. And my wife, uh, she might have said, happy birthday when I woke up. And I remember going to work and interacting with people. No one really said anything and no interaction. And I thought, man, what a kind of bummer birthday. No one said anything to me. And came home that night and I was kind of depressed. And uh, lights were off, which was weird. And I came in, flipped the light on. And guess what? What, everybody else? Surprise, right? Surprise. It turned out my wife remembered. Matter of fact, she'd been planning and putting all these pieces together and had contacted all my friends and they'd written me letters of encouragement that I, I got to open and see on my birthday. And I find, find out that my wife was working the entire time, working behind the scenes in ways that I never ever saw until it all came to that right moment in time where everything uh, came to fruition. Now, it's the same with God. God is working behind the scenes in Joseph's life. And he's working, as we will see, in our own lives as well. Oftentimes, we wish we'd see the miraculous. We'd see the deliverance. But the reality is, is that it starts happening in small increments of discipleship, that God's moving small pieces, orchestrating the pieces of your life, your circumstances, your experiences in different ways for his purpose. So today, we're going to look at Joseph's life. And and though it's not a one-to-one comparison or one-to-one ratio, we are going to see many of the principles that that God was using and working out in Joseph's life are active in ours as well. So before we go any further, I want us to, to ask God to speak to us today through his word that we might go forth changed, we might receive what he has for us today. So let's go before him and pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we... We stand before you today, understanding that your word will not return void, but will, it, will accomplish every purpose for which you have intended it. And today, we pray that you use your word to perform spiritual surgery to our souls. Lord, it says in your word that it is a double-edged sword. Lord, may it be as intricate as a scalpel, removing the cancer of unbelief from our lives. May it serve for our spiritual health to grow us, to help us forsake sin and turn away from it and place our full and an unequivocal trust in you. So we'll glorify your name as we seek your face together today through the preaching of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I want us to j- open up in Genesis chapter four, I mean Genesis chapter 41. Everyone's in Genesis 41. We're going to be going through this piece by piece and breaking this down. The first thing that I want us to, to look at is verse 1. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. Now, I remember last week and the weeks before, for those that were here, for those that were not, let me give you a bit of review. Uh, we all are, are at least familiar with Joseph's life, that Joseph was the uh, favorite son of his father, that he was hated by his brothers, that he was sold into slavery, uh, became a refugee in Egypt, 
He's away with a foreign people in a foreign land. He finds himself uh, bought by the uh, head of the guard, by, which is a man named Potiphar. He works his way up in Potiphar's house where Potiphar's wife takes a liking to him, tries to seduce him, is unsuccessful. Then she uh, gives a false accusation that he tried to rape her, and he is then put in prison where he is languishing. Uh, at, you'd think he would languish, excuse me. He actually, again, he works his way up in the prison. God is with him. God is blessing him. When two unexpected prisoners come in, one is the chief cupbearer and one is the chief baker. Both of them end up having dreams on the same night. And they go to Joseph. Uh, the chief cupbearer tells his dream, ends up being a good dream. And Joseph says to him that you're going to be restored to your position. Once again, you will put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And then secondly, he says to the chief baker uh, that you, I'm sorry, do not have as good news. You're going to be executed. Uh, You're going to be killed. And at the end of three days, that's exactly what happens. The chief baker is executed, and the cupbearer is then restored into Pharaoh's hand. Now, before the chief cupbearer actually goes back, Joseph says says to him this. He goes, you know, um, Pharaoh is the most powerful person in all of the land. And you have Pharaoh's ear. You have access to Pharaoh like no one else does. And put in a good word for me, please. Because remember, it's not about what you know. It's about who you know. <laughs> and he knows this guy. I mean, this is, this is the end right here. You know, you know you're that person, if you're looking for a job and you, you get to know the VP of the company, you think, I can get that job. I'm the president of the company. I mean, this is a VP in a way. And he's saying, I, I need this. Can you get me out of here? There's, I don't belong here. I don't, I'm not supposed to be here. And so uh, he leaves, and then Joseph waits for a few days. Days turn into weeks. Weeks turn into months. And finally, two years goes by. Now, Joseph would think, I'm forgotten. I'm just going to be here forever. I mean, we know the end of the story. But during Joseph's time, he had to have a huge trust in the Lord in the middle of that. That's the hardest thing for us to do is wait on the Lord. We don't like waiting. We're very impatient people. We like to take control back. But he's saying here, wait on the Lord. And Joseph is waiting, and God is moving all this time. See, when we're waiting, we fail to realize that God is moving. Just the other day, my son asked me a question. We were looking at the clouds moving. We're, looking, we're talking about the earth. And he asked if the earth was moving. And I said, yes. He says, but I don't feel it moving. Right? Now, the earth is moving. Do you know how fast the earth is moving? Anybody have an idea? It's pretty fast. It's actually, I got this right here. It's moving uh, 1,000 miles per hour. It's pretty incredible to think about. And it's rotating. And not only is it rotating, but it's continuing to go around the sun as it rotates. And it's always moving. That's, that's incredibly fast. What's the fastest you've ever gone in a car? Okay, you can admit it. I'm not the police. Okay? You can think about it. What's the fastest you've ever gone in a car? I remember one time when I was in high school, I got in a friend's car, and he was crazy. And we were, next thing I know, I look at the speedometer, and I, I put my feet up on the dashboard. I was terrified. We were going 130 miles per hour. And I, and I, I kept thinking, that's fast. Now, imagine 1,000 miles per hour. Can you imagine that? And that's what we're going all the time. We're moving 1,000 miles per hour right now. Why? We don't feel it? Because we're, 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 because of gravity, we're moving along with it. Now, it's interesting, though, that's moving underneath our feet. We don't even realize it. God is moving in your life, and you may not even realize it. And he's constantly moving. He's constantly directing. He doesn't stop moving and orchestrating the pieces of your life, your circumstances, the things that you're going through, the, your family, all of these things. God is he's moving or directing or he's, trying to, he's moving for his purpose. Now, Satan might try to intercede or interact and do different things to, to mess it up, but God will still use that for his purposes. 
That's how God works. He is always moving. And that's the first thing that we need to realize in your notes. You can follow along. That he is faithfully moving in your life. He was faithfully moving in Joseph's life, and he's faithfully moving in yours as well. Now, notice this. We might think that we are trapped, and and we have these people over us that don't fear God, that don't care, and yet we see that God is directing even them. And after two years goes by, God speaks to Pharaoh and gives him a dream. He gives him a dream, and and Pharaoh is roused up. I mean, no one else could get to Pharaoh, but God does. And he, he wakes up from the dream. It's a disturbing dream, and if you remember the dream, he has this dream that he's by the Nile, and these seven plump cows come out, and they're beautiful and attractive I mean, healthy cows, but then sevenly, seven ugly, thin cows come up, and they end up eating the seven healthy cows. And he wakes up, and the Pharaoh's like, that was one crazy dream. So I'm sure he probably had to go to the bathroom, and then he maybe went to the icebox, got a drink, tried to get his pillow all right, snuggled up in bed again. He goes back to sleep, and he has a second dream. And it's very similar to the first one. This time it's a stalk of wheat, and it's very, it's again plump and beautiful, and another one comes up, and it's emaciated, and that one takes control of that one, and, and he's really bothered by these dreams. And he wakes up in the morning, and he's like, these have some type of meaning. I've I got to find out what this is. So he calls for the magicians and the astrologers and the, the wise men, and they come, and they can't tell him his dream. And it's at that time the chief cupbearer remembers and he says, I remember my offenses today. And he tells the story. I was in prison years ago, and I had this Hebrew. I had this dream. Me and your servant, the cupbearer, I mean, the, the baker had a, had a dream. And what Joseph said about our dreams ended up proving to be true. And Pharaoh calls for Joseph and brings to him. Now, the first, though, the, the principle that I hope us to see is this, is Pharaoh is woken up. Now, Joseph couldn't get to Pharaoh. Even when he thought he had an in with Pharaoh, he still couldn't get to Pharaoh. He had to have God do that for him. See, we understand something. God is faithfully moving, and one of the things that he does for, on our behalf when he needs to do it is that he will disturb the strong, that he can shake even the, the highest places. Sometimes when we're looking at the election before us, some, I hear people say it's rigged. I mean, it seems so out of our control right now, but you know, God's got it in control. For blessing or for judgment, God's got it in control. God is moving. We need to trust in that. Our hope is not in any earthly candidate. It never has been. Even if you have the most moral candidate, you find out later that they're usually not the best, the best person. We have to put our trust in the Lord our God, that he can disturb the strong. And that's not, only, that's not the only thing he does. I mean, he has the, the heart of a king in his hand, as we see in Proverbs chapter 21. 21.1, the king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. That God is moving. He's faithfully moving in our lives, just like he is keeping the planet moving each and every day. And when we sleep and when we rise, we may not feel it, but God is constantly and always moving. He's moving in our lives. He not only distracts or disturbs the strong, he directs those around us. He silences those he wants to silence, and he speaks to those that he wants to speak to. But he directs those around us. Notice, the, you have these wise men and the astrologers come to give an interpretation, and they can't give any. God won't let it be done. He causes the cupbearer to remember what had happened years ago. He's directing, he is moving things. He can direct the people in your life. He might be directing that even now. It might be a, a spouse or a child that he's moving. He's directing it for his purposes. So he's directing those around us. And he also is the one, God alone is the one who determines our time. 
See, Joseph had held on and he'd been faithful. God had given him two dreams years ago that showed that he would be exalted. But God didn't know the time. No, Joseph, excuse me, didn't know the time. God did. Now it was time. The cupbearer remembers Joseph. And it's the time where Pharaoh calls for Joseph to bring him out. Now, many of us think we have to make our own destiny. We're the captains of our own destiny, we tell ourselves. We're the ones that seize the day. We even use that term, carpe diem, right? We're the captain of our own soul, captain of our destiny. The reality is, is we're not. We're not. God is. And instead of saying carpe diem, we need to say deus occupet nos, which is God, you seize me. Rather than seize the day, God, you seize me. You take a hold of me. Take a hold of my life. Take a hold of my circumstances. And help me to trust in you in the middle of that. That's the hardest part to do. Lord, why am I going through this? What's going on? God says, trust me. Trust me. Wait on me. Trust me. We have to understand that God himself is the one who determines our time. And now it was Joseph's time. It wasn't years ago. It wasn't months ago. It was this moment in time. And that... Pharaoh calls for Joseph. Look at verse 14. God sent and called for Joseph and then quickly brought him out of the pit. When he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. Notice he had to shave before he went in the presence of a pagan king. Okay? It's just a little note to self there. Okay? All right. So we see here that God is, I mean, Pharaoh is calling now for Joseph. This, politic, this refugee who had been in prison, falsely accused, considered to be a felon, seemingly have all marks against him from a societal perspective. And now he's being brought before the most powerful person in the entire land. It's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing because God determined Joseph's time and now is that time. Now, we, we see that we are to make sure that we, I mean, have to understand that God is faithfully moving. But we also need to understand something else. There's a lot of dreams going on. And we see here that God is mysteriously speaking. That's number two within your notes. Now, as Christians, especially in the West, we don't talk very often about dreams. Um, it's not something that is part of our normal vocabulary. But we see that God does speak time and time again through dreams. And I want to talk about that for a moment because we see throughout the scriptures, God is speaking. I mean, and Joseph is just filled with dreams. Joseph has two dreams about what's going to happen in the future. The chief cupbearer, the chief baker, both have dreams. Pharaoh has dreams. Dreams are all through this entire thing. So we need to have a little bit of a word about dreams. Now, what does it mean when God is mysteriously speaking? And how does God speak through dreams? And is that uh, unique? Is that for everyone? Well, we see that God speaking throughout the entire Old Testament through dreams. He spoke to Jacob in Genesis chapter 28. We, we see him speaking to Gideon's enemies. This is one of my favorite dreams, where Gideon comes to the, the tent of the Midianites and the Amalekites, and he's getting ready to attack, but he goes down there for a word of encouragement by God. He gets down there, and he's listening through the tent, and he hears them give uh, the, one of the men that's a soldier there has a dream of Gideon's coming attack and that they're going to be defeated, and they're terrified. And that encouraged Gideon's heart. So we see God speaking uh, through the, to Gideon's enemies, through Sol, to Solomon, King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel. As a matter of fact, in the book of Acts, because some people might say, well, dreams were in the Old Testament. Well, in the book of Acts chapter 2, we have Peter speaking and quoting the book of Joel. And Joel is speaking about the coming end times. And this is what we read as we see that God is, getting ready to, or God is speaking through dreams in Genesis, or Acts chapter 2, verse 17 through 18. And in the last days it shall be... God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. So if you want to know if you're an old man or a young man, if you're a young man, you have vision. If you're an old man, you're having dreams, okay? Just to let it be known there. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. So let's go back another slide, Kelsey. Uh, we see that slide right back there. And it says that you shall, your old men, your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. So we see then. So if, if dreams can have any type of meaning, we need to know what that means. What are these dreams for? So I'm going to give you a little bit of a parameter for dreams. First of all, dreams, when they come, can be a warning sign. They can be a warning sign. That's the first thing that we need to understand about dreams. We see this within the scriptures. For example, um, Abimelech, King Abimelech, in Genesis chapter 20, is warned in a dream not to touch Sarah because he thought Sarah was single and he brings her into his harem and he is warned in a dream not to touch her because he's Abraham's wife. So there's a warning. God warns Laban in a dream not to treat Jacob well in Genesis 31. And let's go into the New Testament. After the wise men greet the newborn baby Jesus in Matthew chapter 2, verse 12, they're warned in a dream to return home a different way so they don't interact with King Herod. Joseph, the other Joseph in Scripture, Jesus' earthly father, is warned in a dream to flee to Egypt so that Herod won't be able to kill the newborn king in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. And in Matthew 27, 19, Pilate's wife suffered in a dream because of her husband acting as the judge, as judge of Jesus. So they can be warning signs. Dreams can be. Secondly, though, they can be welcome truths. Welcome truths. And we see this also within Scripture, that they can be very welcoming things. For example, with Gideon's victory over the Midianites, God, or God speaking to Solomon, encouraging him in his rule and reign. The same with Jacob and his dream of Jacob's ladder, or his dream about the, the mating habits of his sheep, which is, it's a, that's a, talk about weird dreams, that's a really weird dream. But Joseph's dreams were encouraging, as with his cheap cupbearers. Dreams can be welcome truths. God has been giving dreams and visions to thousands of men still in the world, especially those that come from um, Islamic backgrounds. If you see how many of people have come to saving faith in Christ, it's because Jesus has appeared to them. Just as I was reading this uh, just yesterday of a man named Tofik who had been trained as an imam to persecute Christians, and he had been persecuting and persecuting and persecuting, and then God, though, shows up in a vision at 3 a.m., and it freaks him out, and he wakes his wife up and tells him that he sees the prophet Jesus, Esau, in the dream. And it scared her, and she said, please don't. He said, Jesus is calling me to follow him. And then Jesus appears again that same night and calls him to follow him. Stop persecuting me and follow me. And his wife and he are praying the Quranic verses. And the more that they're praying the Quranic verses, even the ones that talk about Esau, which is Jesus, they, says Jesus, it, the, the verses tell them to follow Jesus. God is still speaking all over the world. And I can give you story after story of people in Turkestan, Turkmenistan or Afghanistan or if, whether it's in Ethiopia or in Saudi Arabia or Yemen or Oman, any of these countries. God is speaking to people throughout the world, drawing them near to himself. He's still speaking. So they can be warning signs or welcome truths or third category or they're just plain weird and they don't mean anything. Seriously. I mean, and I mean this. We, we, ha- we all have dreams. Some people think that dreams all mean something. Not every dream means something. It's true. Not every dream that we have means something. And here's what I mean by that. I mean, you could watch a scary movie before you go to bed and have a scary dream. I know I talked with my wife. She goes, I don't want to watch that show. It's going to give me bad dreams. Or you might eat some really bad salsa or guacamole, and you might have bad dreams in the middle of the night. It could be that way. 
Okay, I don't mean to crack on Spanish food. Okay, it could have been fufu or anything else, whatever cultural you want to come in. Uh, it could have been any culture, any food. could have been fried chicken. I don't know. Um, but it, bad food can, can give you bad dreams. It can. It's part of our human nature. It can affect us, even how we think and how we feel. So some dreams are just seriously, are just weird and don't mean anything at all. Now, if we are going to try to find any, um, any meaning within them, we have to proceed with a word of caution. If you feel that your dream has meaning, know that it has to be in agreement with the word of God. It has to be in agreement. It cannot contradict or turn away from or cause anything type of manipulation, anything like that. It has to be in complete agreement with the word of God. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, God tells us that he speaks to his prophets through dreams, but he offers a warning with it. If the dreamer tries to promote rebellion or offers something that God did not say, they are to be condemned to death. That's pretty serious. Now, it's different in the New Testament age or era, but it still uh, carries weight in understanding that it cannot contradict God's word. So, we must, not, we must understand that if you feel that God has spoken to you through a dream, it in no way carries the same weight as Holy Scripture. No way. Just be aware of that. And you need to understand what the interpretation needs to be clear on, on what that meaning is or someone help explain that meaning to you and not just guess but truly revealed by God's Spirit. Because sometimes they, are, they, they do not carry the same weight in any which way. Now, putting that aside, we've talked about dreams. We want to make sure that we did cover that and what dreams are, uh, we see from a scriptural uh, perspective. We see here, um, and we can see from Joseph, that no matter what we're going through, we're to be actively trusting in the Lord. That's the third point. I mean, we saw that he's faithfully moving, he's mysteriously speaking, but we need to also make sure that we are actively trusting in what God has for our lives. Now, Joseph never stops trusting in the Lord and what he's doing. For many of us, when God doesn't operate on our timetable, we quit and take things into ourselves. Some of you might be here today and say, I'm single, I want to be married. When is that going to happen? Some, there are some here, and I, some ladies are going, when's God going to bring that husband? When he's going to be that husband? T- the time is running out. Do you think God doesn't know the time? God knows the time. Some of you might wonder, wonder, what's going on? Is he here in the middle of this? Why is this happening in my marriage? Why is this happening in my job? Why am I without a job? I've been trying to get this job. Why, why am I dealing with this situation with my child? And you're dealing with it right now, and God is saying, trust me. Trust me, whatever it is. Trust me with your, your singleness. Trust me in your marriage. Trust me with your job. Trust me with your income. I may not be operating in the ways that you want me to, but I am moving and operating right now. I am moving right under your feet in ways that you do not understand. I'm continually moving in your life. And you need to trust in me as you go through it. We need to be actively trusting. We have to trust in the Lord, especially when times get tough. Now, Joseph did, and we see what happened when Joseph did. Look at verse 14 with me for a moment. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. He's taken from the prison to the palace. What's the principle there? That when we continue to trust in the Lord, he will elevate us in the middle of our situation. Now, what that elevation looks like, I do not know. And it may not always happen that way. Sometimes God keeps us down. Sometimes people die for their faith. But he will elevate us in due time. And now, again, I'm not sure what that means in your life, but he will bring you up. He will bring you out. 
And it's not just unique for his story, by the way. Job is another great example. Job is, is a perfect example, a great illustration of this whole truth. Job, remember, has this amazing large family. Okay, he may, Maybe he was African, a big family, right? And then he's got, he's got a lot of sheep, a lot of cattle, and then he's got great health. And Satan attacks God's allowance, and he loses all of his children. They're killed. He loses all of his sheep and all of his cattle and then his own personal health. Now, at the end of his life, what do we read? That God blesses him. God elevates him. After he goes through all this, God brings him back, gives him sons and daughters. He elevates him even higher than where he was before. Now, does that always mean God will do that? No. But we do see that he will elevate us when we do trust in him. And we are to wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Psalm 37 verse 34 says this, that we are to wait for the Lord and keep his way. This is God speaking to the nation of Israel, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. He's speaking to the nation there. But there is a principle that is involved for us, that God will exalt us. That he will exalt us, not to inherit the land like they did, but will inherit blessing. You will look on when the wicked are cut off, that continue to trust in the Lord. So we have to understand He will elevate us. Secondly, remember that when God calls us to something, He will also endow us with insight. See, He calls Joseph to this task. And it's been said that if God leads you to it, He will lead you through it. It's true. He will. He'll equip us for the task. He endows us with insight. Look at verse 41, I mean, chapter 41, verse 15 through 16. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not me. I don't do this. I don't have that power. I don't have that ability. Who is it? It's God. God gave him the insight to give Pharaoh the interpretation. He said, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And then Pharaoh goes on and tells his dreams to Joseph. And Joseph responds by telling him that God is going to bless them with seven years of prosperity unlike Egypt has never seen before. But that's going to be followed by seven years of complete famine and adversity that Egypt had never seen before. And so they need, he needs to put a wise man in place to be able to deal with the prosperity that he can have a surplus to hand it out to people and give it to people when the time of adversity comes. He gives them this amazing insight. Look at verse 33. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine." See, God gave Joseph this amazing insight, and he will give it to us as well. You know, what we see in the New Testament, a promise for us. In James chapter 1, verse 5, the Scripture says that if any of us lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without finding fault. What situation are you facing right now that you need God's wisdom? What is it? Is it a health crisis? Is it a crisis in your family? Maybe, maybe you want to be a follower of Christ and you're, you're afraid of getting dishonor from your family because they are not Christ's followers. Maybe you're afraid of something that's going to happen to you within, with, with your children. Maybe your child has rebelled and you're afraid that other people will think of you. 
You need to be thinking about them. I mean, what are you going through that you say, I need wisdom. I don't know how to deal with my child right now or how to love them. Or I don't know how to proceed with this job. Or I'm facing a foreclosure on my home. And God, I need wisdom right now to know what to do and how to act. And Lord, please give me wisdom. And God promises to give it to you. He promises. He promises. He ties himself to that promise that he will give you insight when you continually, actively trusting in him that he will be with you. He will endow us with insight. He will give fascinating insight. As I was thinking of this, I came across the story of Helen Rosevere. Anyone ever heard of Helen Rosevere? She was a missionary to Belgian Congo in the 1950s and 1960s. She was a medical missionary, sharing Christ, and all, all the while uh, helping and uh, patients over and over again until one day the hospital that she's working at is overrun with rebels. She is beaten, tortured, and then repeatedly raped. I mean, it's a heartbreaking story. Then she's placed into a convent where these nuns are who had also been raped. But she had a deep faith. And even in the middle of her rape, she said, she said this, God spoke to me in the middle of my rape. God said to me, they're not hurting you, they're hurting me in you. And I want you to loan my body. I want you to loan me your body right now. And she did. She had this un- amazing faith. And even in the middle of this, she said, God's sovereign and his purposes will be accomplished. She had a deep faith. And as she's in this convent, she's, she's encouraging these other nuns that are there. And this one young nun, an Italian nun, had been raped. And she thought she'd lost all of her purity and thus her salvation as well. She is devastated at what happened to her. And the mother superior is trying to encourage her and give her words that this is what happened to you. But don't let it define you. But yet... She couldn't get through, but then Helen came along and she could explain from her own deep pain how God would work through that. It was incredible to see. And God gave her strength and this young woman's strength to repeatedly endure more horrific things that came in the weeks to come until they were freed. But God used that experience, gave her insight, and equipped her for the task to be able to minister to other people. And that's a hard circumstance, a hard thing to swallow. But many of us have dealt with that. How many of us have not dealt with death of a loved one and then we can speak to someone else's pain who have lost a loved one? How many of us have gone through tragedy or darkness that we've had to minister to someone else? I've shared that with you. Many of you have known my story that when the economy hit in 2009, we ended up not having a home. We weren't living on the street homeless, but we didn't have a home of our own. We're staying at the hospitality of friends. It was humiliating. But do you know when other people come to me and they say what they feel like to feel that they've been disenfranchised or not being able to work or losing all of that, I understand. God allowed that. God has allowed the experiences of your life and he wants to use those and redeem those to be able to help other people, to encourage them, to give comfort that you yourself have been comforted by. And received. He will endow us with insight and he'll equip us for the task that he has for us. That's what he did with Joseph. Joseph could speak. Joseph knew what it was like to be disenfranchised, to feel hopeless. And you have to wonder when these people came to Joseph from all of these different lands, he understood what it was like to feel helpless. And these people felt helpless. There was no rain, there was no food. Where can we turn to? We don't know where to go. We've been hemmed in. Where is our hope? Joseph goes, I understand. Your hope is in God. I will help you. I will feed you. I understand what it's like to feel marginalized, to feel that that your dignity has been totally lost, that you have nothing. God understands that. God understands our pain. Joseph understood their pain, 
And then he used that pain to help other people. And even as he is confronting his brothers that we're going to see in the next few weeks, he says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good and the salvation of many. God redeems your circumstance and uses it for his glory. And we have to understand and trust in that, that he will equip us for the task that he has for us, as we see in verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food the fields from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. See, he understood what it was like, and he was now equipped for this task. He'd been working in Pharaoh's house and worked his way up. He'd went in the prison. He knew how to interact with people. He knew how to lead people. God had used all of these different things in his life, and now it was culminating in this moment. God will use the hardships and circumstances in which you find yourself. For his purpose, for his purpose at his time, he will equip us for the task. Now, something else happens. There's a little, it seems like a little addition in verse 50, something that seems to be a little off track, but it's not. Look at verse 50 with me for a moment. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. And Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore them to him, it's his wife. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship in my father's house, in all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. See, he's saying here, and he's given us these names to show that God was encouraging him in the work. See, God, we need that encouragement. We need that encouragement in the middle of our work. When we're actively entrusting in God, we have to understand that he will be encouraging us in the work. It'll be coming up here in just a moment, encouraging us in the work. We all need encouragement. Joseph had that encouragement. We can see that by how he named his children. God made me forget all of the hardship in my father's house. And it said, God has also made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Notice how that's how he names his kids, to reflect that encouragement, that stage of his life. I mean, I don't know what your name means. Do you know what your name means? Do you have a meaning for your name? Mine? Mine's amazing. It means toll taker at a crossroads. I'm the person that takes your coins. That's what it means. Okay. But my kids' names are, they have meaning. My oldest daughter is Eliana. It's Hebrew. It means God has answered me. God has answered my prayer. Mariah, the Lord is my provider. The Lord is my teacher. I was in seminary. I felt I was learning all this crazy stuff and I have to go back to God as my teacher. And then Elijah, the Lord is my salvation. We just come through a very dark time. We had just got hired here. It was a reminder that my hope was in God and God alone. Josiah, the Lord is my king. I mean, what did you, what did you name your kids? Oh, just a family name or does it have meaning? There's meaning in a name. And Joseph did that to reflect that encouragement that he'd received. See, when we're actively trusting in the Lord, we can see God will encourage us in the middle of our task. And he encouraged Joseph in the middle of his. But that's not all. Look at, lat, look at uh, verse 56 for a moment. So when the famine had spread all over the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Now, if we just were to stop there, we went, okay, I get it. Joseph is now working for the Egyptians, who had been his, in essence, persecutors in a way, and he's uh, now taking care of that. But he, God has expanded his influence to go even greater. Notice verse 50, the next verse, 57. 
Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. All the earth. Now, it's a little bit of a hyperbole. It's not remaining every place like China and Japan and all those places. It's referring to all the places that were around that the famine affected. That God granted him and expanded his influence. Expanded him to influence not just Egypt, but to all the nations around. See, God will expand your influence. When you do your job well, when you're continually doing the best in the situation that you have and you're actively trusting the Lord in it, God will expand your influence. I was reading this book the other day about this man who was, uh, he was, went to this restaurant, he sat down, and he asked this, uh, this uh, waiter going by real quick, he goes, can I get a Coke? And the young man uh, was kind of a busboy, and he said, sure. And he went off, and then the waitress came, and he goes, well, I already ordered a, a Coke from the, the, the young man that came. She goes, we don't serve Coke products here. And he was real offended by that. And he's like, well, why did he say he'd go get it? And she comes back and brings all the food, and then the young man comes with a Coke. And sets it down. He goes, where did you get the Coke? He goes, across the street. And he went out and he paid his own money to get that Coke. And he was impressed by this young man willing to go that extra mile to go do that. And so he came back uh, a year later and he wanted to see this waiter. waiter. He asked for him by name and they said, well, he's no longer a waiter here. The guy's like, you let this kid go? This kid was phenomenal. Like, he was a, I think he wasn't a waiter. He was a busboy. He said, I can't believe you let this kid go. He goes, we didn't let him go. He's now the manager. <laughs> Why? Because, and this is true, we can see this in the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, we see, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. In other words, when you're doing your job well, God will expand your influence to be able to influence those that are higher or greater than you. When you are faithful, actively trusting in the Lord, and doing the task that he has for you, he will expand your influence in greater ways than you ever thought possible. I mean, imagine that. We say, Joseph... I mean, this is a refugee in the land of Egypt, an ex-felon, and now God has put in second in charge of the most powerful nation of the world at that period of time, and he's reaching all the nations. Why? Because God was moving. God was at work in his life, and he's in our work in our life as well. He's continually working. Draws, drawing us closer to himself, putting the circumstances of our life and putting them in place for such a way to give his name glory. Now, how do we truly trust in the Lord? That trust, that true trust is not just in a generic God, but it's in the, the God of the Bible. And that is through Jesus Christ. That is where our salvation is. That is where our trust is. That is where our hope is. And in him and him alone. For there is no name given, under, given to men by which we must be saved. It's through Jesus and Jesus alone that we have hope. And Joseph, by the way, which we've talked about, is a type of Jesus, that he was humiliated and then he was exalted. Jesus was humiliated and was exalted. And we place our trust and faith in him. And that comes when we believe. And the question is, you might be here today and you say, well, this is great. I, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus. You know, the Bible says very clearly that Jesus is God's Christ, that he is the Savior of the world, that he came to die on the cross for our sins, that he came to suffer dishonor that we might have honor, that he might subject himself to the powers and the principles and the authorities, that he might put away and defeat and destroy the works of the devil, that he would be exalted at God's right hand because of his resurrection. He paid the price for our sins, and he offers that eternal life to you and me. And that comes when we trust in him. And the scripture is very clear that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe that God raised him from the dead, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
And whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You have to call on the name of the Lord, and he will save, and he will transform. And if you're here today, that's what you have to do. You just call on the Lord and say, Lord, save me. I want to trust in you just like Joseph did. But I know it begins by believing in your son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So place your faith in him, and he will save you. He will make you new. He will cleanse you of your dishonor, of your shame, of your sins. And he will endue you with power and give you a new identity and a new hope. And he will exalt you to become that person that he wants you to be. And he will display his name and his grace all over your life. Because as the scripture says, for we are God's workmanship, God's poem to be read, to be displayed to the world. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, we are reminded and thankful of your faithfulness and we see your hand moving in the life of Jacob, I mean, the life of Joseph, as you're orchestrating his life, as you were putting the pieces together, as you're working behind the scenes, Lord, we trust and remember that you are working behind the, the scenes of our lives as well. Lord, may we draw hope, may we draw encouragement to know that in the middle of all of our suffering that you are there in the middle of us, that you love us, that you're there for us, that you forgive us when we call upon you, and that you are there for us, our ever-present help in time of need. Lord, I do pray that you might encourage each one of our hearts. Help us to truly live out the truths that we have learned today, that we might continually understand that you are faithfully moving, and Lord, that you are mysteriously speaking, and that we are to be actively trusting. So Lord, be with us, bless us, use us for the glory, honor, and praise of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.